Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and we are broadcasting from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who may be listening to the program this afternoon. Throughout the evening, for the next 90 minutes, we will be answering your questions and sharing a biblical worldview on the concerns that you have about life. Your, question doesn't, your questions do not have to relate specifically to uh, church. They can re- be a question about life. Why is an aspect of life so difficult or always changing? Or why are current events that we're uh, facing, why are they doing uh, what they are? We're here to share a biblical worldview with you. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.33, and I'm glad you've taken time out of your Tuesday evening to join us. Now, Pastor, we are going to start out with a question that's a carryover from last week. In the book of Amos, Amos chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, are the prophecies already fulfilled? Please elaborate, especially on verse 6. I'm going to read these verses. Uh, Amos chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he said concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And if you're turning in your Bible and you want to follow along, we're in Amos chapter 1, verse 2. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions from Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have their threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the places of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants of the plain of Avon. And him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden and the people of Syria shall go into the captivity of Ker, saith the Lord. And verse 6, the one I wanted you to elaborate on, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them to Edom. Pastor, the question again, are these prophecies already fulfilled? Well, I suspect the reason why the person has asked that question is because the two names that you find in this passage 
Damascus, which is in Syria, capital of Syria, and also Gaza, was very familiar in the current world news. And I suspect they want to know if this prophecy uh, here has anything to do with the, the present. Um, remember that Amos the prophet really um, is a person that spoke specifically to Israel, uh, the ten tribes. It did give some, some um, prophecies also to Judah. But if you read the passage that we just had and read the following, you'll find that the prophet is here pronouncing judgment on different countries surrounding Israel. As a matter of fact, there are six countries that are uh, earmarked for judgment by God. There's Damascus, which is in Syria. There's Gaza, which is uh, where you have the Philistines. There's Tyra, which is in Lebanon. There's Eden, uh, which is in Jordan. There's Ammon in Jordan as well. And then there's Moab. Uh, those are the six countries. Um, one of the things that helps us to see if this prophecy has been fulfilled is to perhaps look at the first one, which has to do with Damascus. And uh, you're told there that the Lord is going to uh, destroy Damascus. It mentioned made of Ben-Hadad. <coughs> it's made of Syria, etc. And that they'll be carried into captivity, into Kerr. Now, this prophecy was actually fulfilled. If you look at Second Kings 16.9, uh, you'll find that this is exactly what happened. Um, Judah um, hired the Assyrians uh, to go against the Syrians and to uh, put them into captivity and carry them into captivity. That's exactly what happened there. Second Kings 16.9. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Kerr and slew Rezin. Same verse as used here. It said that the Syrians would be taken to Kerr in the passage we have here. And clearly, Second uh, Kings sixteen nine says that uh, Judah hired the king of Assyria, and he uh, he did the they became mercenaries and actually took the Syrians into captivity. It's the same place that is identified in the passage. And then uh, the one with Gaza that uh, the Lord is going to deal with Gaza as well. If you read Second Chronicles twenty six six and Second Kings eighteen eight, you'll also read that uh, the Lord dealt with Gaza. On, in these two prophetic writings. So if you just look at that, Second Chronicles 26.6. Okay, that uh, verse says, And he went forth and warred against the Philistines and brake down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebeneh and the wall of Ashdod and built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. Again, the Gaza is in the Philistines. Ashdod is Philistines. So there's a, a Lord dealing with that. And then look at Second Kings 18.8. Uh, Second Kings 18.8 says, He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. Again, clearly the prophet prophecy was fulfilled uh, in this occasion. I would like to say this, however. If you read um, the Psalm, Psalm 83, is yet a psalm yet to be fulfilled. It's going to be the final battle between Israel and the Arab nations. And you will find in that occasion that uh, Gaza is going to be dealt with again in that same prophetic writing. As a matter of fact, um, the Bible talks about Philistia uh, in that passage. Uh, we don't have time to go to um, Psalm chapter 83, but in Psalm chapter 83 you'll find that the, uh, the Islamites, the Moabites, the uh, Egyptians... Um, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, Tyra, and Assyria. We're told that all of them one day will join together to say, let us destroy Israel and, and take uh, and remove her from the earth. Uh, 
That is yet to come. That has never happened, this kind of coalition. So Psalm 83 is a prophecy about the Middle East and uh, how finally this battle will start, uh, will end. Israel would have complete victory, by the way, after this particular battle. But it's an interesting passage to read, Psalm 83. So while this, this prophecy in Amos was fulfilled, according to what I've given you there, uh, they're still yet to be dealt with. So Damascus is coming up in the future, and uh, Gaza is going to be dealt with in the future as well. And Psalm 83 speaks about that, when uh, there will be a coalition against Israel to wipe Israel off the map, and there will be an intervention where uh, the Jews are going to be victorious. And um, that is yet to be fulfilled. All right. I hope that that answers the question from the individual on Matthew's Road in All Saints, Antigua. Thank you for sending in that question. And maybe you have a question as you've been listening to Pastor answer that. Feel free to give us a call. The phone number to be put live on the air is 268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp and text, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, our next question is also a carryover from last week. It came in right at the end of the program, and there wasn't enough time to do it justice. So you asked to start out this evening with it. It says, good evening. Please explain if any evil spirit or deceit is involved between these two prophets in 1 Kings chapter 13, 16 to 25, particular verse 16. And I'll go ahead and start reading the passage and feel free to interrupt me at any time. And again, if you want to follow in your own Bible, it's 1 Kings 13, 16 to 25, starting in verse 16. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spoke unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. Verse 19. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God, that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in this place, and of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread, and after he had drunk, that he had saddled him his ass, to wit, the prophet whom he did, whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by, and the lion also stood by the carcass. 
and verse 25, And behold, the men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And again, the question, Pastor, was, please explain if any evil spirit or deceit is involved between these two prophets. Well, the first thing is that there's no evidence in the passage. There's no reference to an evil spirit. So let's be very, very clear about that. Is there deception? Yes, there's deception. There's also duplicity and seduction in this passage. But let's remember what this passage is about, basically. Uh, The old prophet was sent by God to curse the altar that was in Bethel. Now remember that Bethel and Dan were two um, places that were established by Jeroboam. Uh, Jeroboam did not want the the northern kingdom, which is the, it was called Israel and Ju- uh, Judah, the southern kingdom. He didn't want the people going to worship in Jerusalem, because uh, the kingdom had been split into two after um, Solomon's death, and he wanted to, to have the ten tribes together. And as a result. Uh, he knew that as long as the Israelis were going down to Jerusalem, the possibility was that they would eventually make David, uh, his descendants, the king. So therefore, he established a rival place of worship, one in the north and one in the south, basically. And uh, uh, we also told, by the way, that he ordained anybody who wanted to be a priest. Now, the Bible had limited the priest to the Levites, but he created renegade priests. In other words, he created a rival system so that people would not be going to Jerusalem. And then uh, the Lord sent uh, a prophet, a man of God, to curse the altar and uh, tell him that these same priests that are offering uh, sacrifices, their, their bones would be burned on the altar. And then he said, as a result of a sign, the altar would burst, and the uh, and uh, as a result, the fire would be spilled. What we need to understand, this is Bethel. Uh, this man goes, the Lord told him, when you go, there are three things you must not do. He said, uh, number one, don't drink anything. Number two, don't eat bread. And number three, don't come back the way you went. Those are three clear commands from the prophet. As a matter of fact, in verse number 10, when um, he's reminded of those three things, don't drink water, don't eat bread, and don't return the way. When the king later on offered him um, these same three things, water, bread, and to go back with him, he said, I can't do it because the Lord had told me I can't eat, I can't drink, and I can't go back. But yet, this uh, prophet, an old prophet, uh, comes on the scene and is able to get this man to reverse everything the Lord has told him. So we've got to be very, very clear. We're not mentioning any any evil spirit here. But clearly, here's the thing that bothers me about this passage. Why was this old prophet all the time in Bethel and the Lord had to send a, another prophet to curse the altar? That's the whole issue. He's, there's an old prophet living in the same area of Bethel where this false altar and he doesn't raise up a voice against the altar, and God has to send another prophet to curse the altar. So there's something wrong with this uh, second prophet. Either he is in a accident state where he's adjusted to the environment and compromised with what is going on, uh, but it is very, very clear that um, he might have been a, a former prophet, but he's out of God's will because he's in the midst of idolatry and doesn't raise a voice against the altar. Now, the Lord sends this other prophet to deal with the matter. He does it. But then this man's, um, this old prophet that is there, his sons see what is what is said and what is done. And he goes back and tells his daddy what has taken place. And his dad said, okay, sadly me and ask, let me go to this man. And what should have made this guy alert? If I was there and it was me, it would certainly send up some red flags. The Lord told me, don't eat bread, don't drink water, and don't go back. 
This prophet tells me the same three things the Lord told me not to do. He's now inviting me. And then he says to me, I'm a prophet like you. Not only that, an angel has spoken to me. And I think that this is what disarmed this prophet. And then he said, I want you to go and eat bread with me. I want you to drink water with me. And I want you to go back. And the Bible says that this guy went back. This is a story about disobedience. This is a story about God giving clear directives to an individual and allowing himself uh, to be misled and go down another path, violating the exact commands that God had given to him. So this is a matter of, of, of clear disobedience. We are told, by the way, in verse number 18, if you read that, Nathan. Verse number 18 says, And he said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied on But he him. lied. It's very, very clear. The Bible makes it clear that he lied to the prophet. So this is a guy, uh, in my judgment, who is out of touch with God, has compromised for so long. He doesn't speak against the altar. But he hears about a man of God, and he, I think he's now wanting to reconnect somehow. He, he believes that this man of God somehow can help him. But he can't tell him exactly that he's been an old prophet for all these years. He hasn't spoken against the altar, whatever it is. So I think that indirectly, he's, he's trying to see what he can salvage out of this new prophet, and maybe to bring him back to the Lord. But he lies to him in the process. And this prophet who had been given clear directives from God, three clear directives, should have known better. He should have been wiser, should have been discerning. And he should not allow anybody to, to uh, reverse the, the commands that God has given to him. Um, so I am just saying that clearly this is a matter of deception. This is a matter of seduction and enticement. And uh, I believe that the old prophet's uh, motive was perhaps designed somehow that this man of God uh, would somehow be a blessing to him. But he uh, lied to the guy and misrepresented. But uh, the, the, again, the, the whole story here is about disobedience after God has given a clear command. And, and by the way, there's a warning for us. Uh, not, an, not even an angel uh, that teach, tells us something that is contrary to God's word ought to be obeyed. Uh, any angel that appeared, uh, whether it be to Muhammad or whether it be appeared to uh, Joseph Smith or whoever, and uh, that teaches them any teaching or doctrine contrary to Scripture, uh, he's not uh, a true angel of God. He's a fallen angel and an angel of, of false light. And uh, this is a clear warning that using uh, supernatural Contacts as a basis for doing something contrary to Scripture uh, leads down a trail of disobedience that has certain consequences. Of course, this prophet played with his consequences. Because, by the way, the only person in this whole story that was obedient to God was the lion. <laughs> no, I'm serious. The, the lion attacked him. Listen to this, Nathan. The lion attacked him, and then stood by killed him. him, didn't eat him up, but no, didn't eat the donkey either. I didn't trouble anybody. Uh, the only person, the only, I don't say person, the only entity in this whole uh, enterprise that is obedient to God is the lion himself. And this is a rebuke to the prophet, just like a donkey was used to rebuke uh, Balaam. Uh, this is a rebuke to this prophet who had a very clear, definite word from God, but yet allowed somebody to seduce him and trick him uh, into going and doing contrary to what God has said. 
Now, I know as you were applying that to us, you were saying if there's a clear command in Scripture, no matter who claims that an angel appeared to them, we shouldn't go against. But what about in those gray areas? Or, I mean, we're all maturing in our faith as we get older and through life experiences and uh, people who have gone before us and are sharing their life experience and wisdom. In those gray areas, should we be willing to change? Look, I, I, I would say this. Uh, I believe that God operates supernaturally in, in certain cases. I know of a pastor who can relate his story, uh, and uh, clearly this is a person he never met uh, who came from overseas and spoke to him directly when his situation was in a very dire. He has no doubt in his mind that this, by the way, never saw the person afterwards either. I think God does some supernatural things. I think what we've got to be aware of is where we're given advice or counsel that is contrary to God's word, we ought not to listen. But if you have a person who is trustworthy, been serving the Lord for a number of years, and you're going to a situation, and that person uh, uh, says to you, you know, the Lord has been speaking to me about whatever, and um, this is the counsel uh, he's given to give to you. Uh, I see nothing wrong in weighing that counsel in relation to God's word. If it's not contrary to God's word, um, I see nothing wrong in trying to implement or trying to adjust to whatever the situation is. We, we, we've got to be very concerned, however, about somebody who is leading you contrary to what the Scripture says. All the religions, including um, the SDA with Ellen um, G. White, I mean, Ellen G. White said she got all of these teachings and doctrines from angels and from the Holy Spirit and from God, then it's discovered a whole system of writing is plagiarism, dishonesty, not giving people credit. It's nothing wrong in quoting somebody or saying something, but when you say that it's you and the Lord has led you and the Lord has given this to you, it's all false. Same thing with Muhammad, uh, with um, saying that Gabriel appeared to him, and, and the same thing with Joseph Smith, Moroni appeared to him, etc., etc. And, and, and by the way, both Muhammad, uh, both Joseph Smith, uh, are contrary to Scripture, what they're taught, etc. And also, I would say, even Ellen G. White, with her teachings on the investigative judgment, on the the, the commandments, etc., etc. So we got to be very, very careful that we're not misled. And this is a story of how seduction can be used, uh, an enticement, uh, by somebody who seems to be credible, but yet at the same time is going contrary to God's Word. We need to be alert about that. A warning to us, basically. As we transition back to our topic of demonology um, that we've been discussing for a number of weeks now, you mentioned Ellen G. White, you mentioned Muhammad, and you mentioned Joseph Smith and how they each had angels who appeared to them. Do you believe that they really had angels appear to them and would they have been demons or did they just make that up to try and make their story more believable? I don't know, but I would say to you this. Uh, I believe that it is possible for people to see things and, and uh, angelic beings, whatever it is. But remember uh, the book of uh, t- uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, talk about Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. We must always remember that. So there's a possibility that some of these people actually saw what. There, by the way, some of these guys with the um, the Word of Faith movement will tell you that they were taken to heaven 
uh, by an angel, or an angel appeared to them, etc., etc. Um, some of them even claimed that an angel taught them certain uh, truths, etc., etc. Um, whether or not this is just um, people who are have a very vivid imagination, or they're trying to give credibility to what they believe by uh, having some supernatural endorsement by uh, making these things, uh, or whether these things have actually happened, I really don't know myself. All I would say to you, I think it's possible that some of these people were really, really deceived um, by some um, mysterious supernatural being that occurs, claiming to be some angel, etc., etc. I can see that people can fall for that. You're listening oh, to. The, go ahead. Go ahead. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at org. The name of this program is That's Truth, and it is an interactive live call-in program on Tuesday evenings where you have an opportunity to ask questions, any question, and have it answered from the Bible and from a biblical worldview. We are talking about the topic of demonology, and we will jump right into that. We just mentioned that it is 7.55 on this Tuesday evening, and we are glad that you have joined us on That's Truth. Yeah, I just want to, make, want to interject something here, Nathan. I remember, I'm just reminded of a passage where Paul says that um, though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach unto you any other gospel, let him be accursed. Now, clearly Paul sees the possibility that it is you can have a supernatural being declaring a different gospel. But Paul says, uh, if it is even me, Paul, or another angel, he said, let that person be accursed. Let that person be damned. That gives you the idea of Paul's understanding that there are supernatural beings and entities that can interfere in people's lives and mislead them down a rabbit's trail. Later on, you'll discover that one of the purpose of demons, Paul called the doctrine of demons. Uh, clearly, they, they, they teach the doctrine of demons. Now, how are you going to teach the doctrine of demons? You have to be taught through men. How are you going to get that into men? You have to somehow uh, either possess them or either influence them. But clearly, uh, angelic beings are involved in this whole religious confusion of our times. Last week, Pastor, you were discussing uh, the ten words in the Old Testament and the ten descriptions that were used in the Old Testament, uh, names given to demons and how they were described. Uh, anything you want to mention in summary before we jump into the second half of that question? No, I think that uh, a lot of people read the Old Testament and they've never really done a study to really see the frequency in which demons are, are mentioned. Indeed, they're not mentioned as frequent in the New Testament, but you'll hardly find somebody who's familiar with the fact that there's a lot of demonic, a lot of words used in the Bible for demons. But when you do the study, you see that there are 10 different references and 10 different words that they use. It gives you an idea of the competent concept of this matter of demonism. It's not just a New Testament concept. It runs throughout the Old Testament. And that's because the Old Testament and New Testament are synchronized and one follows the other. But again, we believe in progressive revelation. That's why you find more fullness on demonology in the New Testament than you find in the Old Testament. But there is an Old Testament basis for believing in demonic influence and demonic powers. For the person who's just tuned in or maybe wasn't listening to the first couple episodes on demonology, do you believe demons are real? Of course. Uh, I, 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 I would make this kind of a statement. Anyone that's a true Christian cannot in any way uh, disbelieve that they're demonic powers. The moment you, you, you do that, you're discrediting Christ, you're discrediting the apostles, and above all, you're completely denying the authenticity of the Scripture and the infallibility of God's Word because the Scripture makes it very, very clear repeatedly. Over 80 times, by the way, there's mention of demons in the New Testament alone. 
how can you deny that when there's so many references uh, to this matter? You gave us an overview of the Old Testament. Can you give us an overview of the New Testament and demons? Yeah. When it comes to the New Testament, of course, we got much fuller light on this this matter. And uh, I'd just like to uh, mention uh, four categories that you find in the New Testament in relation to demons. Uh, first of all, there is the name that is used repeatedly in respect to demons. is the word daimon or demon. Uh, that word in the Greek language, by the way, means intelligence or knowledge. So clearly, when it comes to demonic powers, we are dealing with highly intelligent, highly knowledgeable uh, entities. And that word, by the way, is uh, used over 70, 70, uh, 79 times in the Bible in respect to this whole matter of, of demons. There are nuances of this word uh, that you find in the, in the New Testament. The word daimon, daimon, there's also daimonian, and uh, don't want to use all the Greek to confuse you, but basically there are six different words connected with this word, different nuances, it's mean different word endings and emphasizing different aspects. Uh, the second thing that you find in the New Testament, not only the word demon and the uh, nuances and different uh, terms that are used, is the word uh, used in connection with spirit. That's another term that is often used to describe these evil powers in the scripture. And in particular, there are four different descriptions of these evil spirits. Uh, first of all, uh, in Luke seven twenty one and Acts 19, and there are others, you'll find reference there to what is called evil spirit. Can you just read Luke seven twenty one? Yeah, Luke seven twenty one reads as follows. And in the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits and unto many that were blind he gave sight. And notice that he cured evil people who were possessed with evil spirits. Now that word is an interesting word. The word that is used there is poneros, uh, evil. And it means I- evil in the sense that it causes pain. Uh, in the sense that uh, it causes sorrow or it's a malignant spirit that actually seeks to injure. Uh, so that's one word that's used to describe an evil spirit. The next word that's never next word of spirit that's used is the word unclean spirit. You find it in Matthew ten one. Uh, I'd like you to just read that reference. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Right, that's a different word that is used there, and the Greek word is the word athathos, and it really means impure. And that's why when people are involved with uh, demonic spirits, it is always leads to moral impurity. See the difference between um, evil spirit, the desire to hurt, to harm, to cause pain? Different word here now. Uh, it's a different type of spirit you now that's designed to move you down the track of immorality and uh, uncleanness, moral uncleanness. Then the third word that is used is the word wicked. You find that wicked spirit, Luke eleven twenty six. Luke eleven twenty six says, Then he goeth and talk and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first state. No, this word is a compound of the first word uh, that has to do with wicked. But the whole idea is very sadistic. So this is not only a spirit that that tries to create pain and sorrow, but enjoys creating pain and sorrow. So this is uh, a real... It's like when you met the guy at the Garadines, that he's cutting himself, mutilating himself. This is the kind of spirit that finds pleasure in in self-destruction. Uh, and then the other word that's used to describe these spirits is the word seducing, 
First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse one. First Timothy chapter four and verse one reads: Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That word seducing is the word deceiving spirits. So that's another aspect of these demonic spirits. They not only hurt you, they not only move you in the area of immorality, they not only are very sadistic and take pleasure in self-mutilation, but they also try to deceive, etc. They're spirits that are intended to move you away from the truth. So that's another term. So the word demon, but then another category is spirits. These are described as different types of spirits. The third word that is used to describe these are fallen angels um, and there are look at uh, Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 well I'm turning there let me ask you sure. pastor you mentioned that there's deceiving spirits does that mean that if your child or your spouse is uh, has a habit of deceiving you or saying deceitful things that they are possessed of a, an evil spirit we got to be very, very careful that we don't equate uh, what we would call normal sinful activity with the act of um, some evil spirit possessing a person. Um, we got to remember that people are fallen, they're evil, they're wicked, and that might be a habit that a person has fallen into as a result of practice. Or it's like a person who lies. There's some people who are uh, professional liars, basically. You meet them a lot in the supermarkets and meet them at the place where they always tell you some sad story. And uh, they've learned to live by their wits, etc., etc. But I would be very watchful and very careful that because somebody keeps using uh, deception with a husband or with the children, etc., that it means that they're demon-possessed. We've got to be very careful about that because sometimes it just be a, a, a sinful habit that a person has. Uh, because if you go down that route, what about a person who is very immoral? Uh, do they have a demonic spirit making them immoral as well? So you begin to blame everything on an evil spirit. We got the, the Bible doesn't give you that that liberty to do that. Uh, so be very watchful that we don't attribute to uh, people uh, demonic control when in actual fact there's a habit that needs to be broken. And the way you can break a habit is to put it off by putting on something new. And that's why the Bible is called... Um, uh, dehabituation and rehabituation, Paul, putting off and putting on. So I'd be very watchful and very careful to assign uh, demonic influence to a person who happens to have a practice of being deceitful or lying or committing immorality. You've got to be very careful about that. Matthew chapter, is it 11? Um, 25 verse 41. 25 verse 41 reads as follows. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, uh, clearly we're dealing with demonic powers, and these are the uh, fallen angelic beings that followed Satan. And uh, that would be another concept. So not only the word demon that is used entirely intelligent and smart uh, entities, not only the idea that they are spirits that are wicked and unclean and uh, seducing, and evil, but we also got to realize that this aspect. And remember that angel means messenger. Um, um, that's what it means. So they, these are emissaries of Satan that are used, and the Bible describes them. If you read also uh, Nathan uh, Revelation chapter twelve, verse seven to nine, reference is also made to this group as angels of Satan. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found on any more in heaven. 
And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard the loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Yeah, this is yet this is an event yet to occur. Uh, during the tribulation period when the devil is cast down to the, and then we'll read later in the book of Revelations the devil knows his time is short he goes to deceive the nations but notice that the, Michael has his angelic beings with him and he's fighting against the dragon and the devil with his what? his angels he also has these angelic powers so that's another term that is used in connection with these demonic beings that uh, are agents of Satan so they not only uh, use the word demon which has to do highly smart intelligent uh, creatures with great knowledge but also the uh, concept that they're spirits and also the angels and then another term that is used to describe uh, it's also Ma- uh, Revelations 9-11 Revelations 9-11 says and they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abdon Abaddon mm-hmm. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Which means destruction. That's another term that will help describe these uh, angelic fallen beings. Uh, This in particular being is a being of destruction. And you remember that the Bible says that the enemy uh, comes but to what? Destroy. To seek and to destroy and to to kill. Basically, that's his whole deceive, destroy, and to kill. And that gives you an idea of their malignancy against human beings. Uh, always the end game is always to bring human destruction. So those are four New Testament terms that have to do with uh, these, these these beings as well. So you've got that in New Testament. Later on, I suspect, when we begin to deal with what they do and how they affect people, you begin to see more of the activity within the uh, New Testament. But um, the New Testament, um, not as many, ten different words in the Old Testament, but certainly in the New Testament you've got four different classes. And had we had time to deal with the word demon and the uh, subheadings and the nuances, there are five different words using the word demon that is used in a compound uh, word that speaks of demonic powers in, in different aspects of it. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Anguilla. It says, Good evening, Pastor. Should we as Christians be praying against our individual enemies as King David prayed in many of his psalms such as Psalm 109 or should we be praying for our enemies in a good light? Well it's it's hard to to answer that question Um, I I would think the best process we look in the New Testament uh, our Lord says pray for them that what despitefully use you and uh, abuse you, basically. So I would be more disposed to believe that it's proper within this dispensation of grace that we be praying for our enemies. Um, under Old Testament law, I pointed this out in another program, remember that under law it is lex talionis, an eye for nine, a tooth for tooth. And also remember that in the case of David, David being the one chosen by God, David is it's God's monarch. An attack on David is an attack on God's theocracy. So uh, when David prays uh, against his enemies, he's actually praying against the enemies of God. But in our New Testament age, uh, where we're living under grace, it's not lex talionis, it is turned the other cheek. And that is displayed by our Lord even when he was being mistreated. Uh, Book of Hebrews uh, says he didn't uh, answer back 
he didn't rebuke anybody, basically. Um, he graciously uh, took the pain and that was administered him because he acted out of love, out of compassion. I think that should be our approach, albeit it's very difficult. I mean, a guy slapped you one time, you turn the other one. I know the third one, <laughs> what would happen? But we are to exercise compassion, and we should want people to be saved. You know, the thing about us is that as a believer, when you get become a Christian and you get old in your Christian faith, I think you should get a little bit mellow. You know why? You realize how evil your heart is. Mm. When you really begin to think about the things you've done, even after you got saved, your thoughts have passed through your mind, your neglect of prayer, your neglect of reading the Scriptures, your selfishness, uh, your motive. Really, when you get a real introspection within your life, you begin to realize you almost pity people because you realize if I'm if I'm still I'm saved, but still like I'm this way. Imagine a man without Christ. So it makes you far more compassionate when you become a Christian than you're not a Christian. And a lot of things that you would respond to, you almost uh, are able to grapple with it because you begin to realize you're dealing with people who are on a downward path, deluded. They have no Christ in him. They have no Holy Spirit with him. They're not directly by the word. They're acting out of passion and out of selfishness, I think. But I do feel that we should be more compassionate in dealing with people and praying for our enemies as opposed to praying against our enemies, etc., etc. However, you should also pray for protection. Uh, from the, the enemy, but pray for them. Our Lord says, and we can only be obedient to that uh, directive. As you were answering that, I was trying to think of the Apostle Paul, and I mean, we have many accounts of how he was stoned to death and or left to be dead after being stoned. I was trying to think of any accounts that we have of him praying against his against his enemies? I don't think we have it. There's one occasion in the uh, book of Acts um, where he um, he made a statement and then he, he retracted it when they said, uh, do you know he's not, the, do you know the that he's the high priest, etc., mm-hmm. etc.? I I think he had said the Lord should smite thee thy white and sepulchre or something of that yeah. effect. I mean, strong words. I mean, look, 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 Paul was not perfect. And what we have in the Bible doesn't mean that God approves of everything. Uh, in that moment, Paul could have said something that is, is was improper. It's written there for us to let us know that he's not a perfect man. And God requires that for that. But then when Paul learns it was a high priest, uh, Paul quotes the scripture saying you should not speak against your rulers. So he retracted what he said. But uh, when you read so many things that happened to the Apostle Paul, there's no malice, there's no hatred, there's no vengeance, etc., etc. He tries to live in the power of the Spirit and respond appropriately. And he tries to remember Paul is, 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 uh, he said in Philippians, what? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The way Paul looked at life, that when he was going through suffering, he tried to identify what he was going through and relate that to Christ. Uh, And for example, when when a person is betrayed, one of the worst things in the world is to be betrayed but the way to handle that is to reflect on the fact that truth itself the variant was betrayed by a friend and that helps you to be consoled knowing that he understands your betrayal and that that enables you to be able to handle the situation because he your great high priest is interceding for you and that's the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews because he was became man to be tempted like as we are in all things that he might be a sympathetic high priest that we might find grace and mercy in time of need it's knowing that he has been through these kind of things and understand that we can pour our hearts before him and say Lord I'm hurting uh, but I know you know how I feel because you went through exactly what I've been through I think that's how Paul tried to deal with those kind of matters. 
You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, the time across the Eastern Caribbean. And in our studios on this Tuesday evening is 13 minutes after 8 p.m. We still have 45 minutes left in this episode of That's Truth, so go ahead and send in your questions. You can call and be put live on the air, and the phone number is one 268 462-7420. That's to be put live on the air. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text, send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, uh, can you just briefly explain to the individual who's wondering what it means to be saved? What is salvation? The Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament, is very clear on this matter. Uh, if you read Paul's uh, book of Romans, uh, chapter 3 and verse 4, it tells you that you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, that he died on the cross for us to remove our sins. He died vicariously in our place, so he became our substitute that we might be forgiven. But the Bible also says not only must we have faith in, in Christ's finished work, the Bible says we must repent. And repentance involves uh, confession of sins before God. It involves a determination to turn your back on that sin and to forsake that sin and to seek God's grace in overcoming that sin. So in simple uh, language, uh, re- uh, salvation involves repentance of sin and putting your faith and trust in Christ as your only substitute, as your only Savior, as the only in-between you and God. Uh, when that happens and you put that faith, the Bible says that God forgives you, God pardons you, and then God does something marvelous, two things. First, second, the other thing he does, he he allow the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, the Bible says he takes the righteousness of Christ and he imputes that righteousness to your account. So he takes your sin, Christ takes your sin, but he does more than that. He also puts his righteousness on your account so that when God deals with you, you are as perfect as his son is because you are in Christ. I cannot emphasize the importance of this truth because if that were not true, that we were positioned righteous before God as his son, God still could not deal with us because even though we are saved, we still have an indwelling sinful nature that is not being redeemed in its fullness as yet. But Romans chapter 9 said that one day the body is going to be redeemed and the sinful nature is going to be removed. So God is able to deal with us even in our imperfections because we are in Christ and clothed in his righteousness because of our faith in his finished work on the cross. Is there anything else you want to mention in relation to demons and how they're described, uh, names they're given throughout Scripture before we move on? I think I've uh, probably pretty much um, said enough. I would ex those who are listening and can do a further study, and you can, uh, you know, get a basic Bible tools, the Strong's Concordance, a Bible dictionary would help you uh, in, in this whole process. But uh, I think I've pretty much fairly exhausted uh, the, that aspect of it. So here's a question. I think it's simple. Maybe it's complex. No. Uh, what are demons, really? Well, um, there are different views on, on, on this whole matter of what, what demons are. And, um, of course, those who are not biblicists, those who are rationalists or skeptics or agnostics or those who are materialists uh, believe that demons are uh, superstitious designations of certain mental disorders and the reason why people act as though they're demon-possessed, uh, uh, you know, is because there's some some illness that maybe we have not discovered as yet. So they consider um, 
what we call demonism or people as, as, as kind of personifications of some kind of a mental illness or incurable disease that we don't know anything about. Um, the other view on this matter is that some people have believed that demons are the deceased wicked spirits of wicked people. I know you've heard that, right? People believe that. Uh, the third view is that there are in uh, a disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race. Um, what is shocking, by the way, is that uh, there are people who, Bible scholars who believe this, and they put Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 2, and they said that that's where this pre-Adamic race <coughs> occurred. So they, they believe that um, as a result, uh, there was a pre-Adamic race, and, and Satan was in charge of this. And by the way, they use um, um, Isaiah chapter 14, where it talks that thou were in the Garden of Eden, and also in Ezekiel, and say that, you know, Satan had a, a, a dominion before man was created, and as a result of uh, rebellion, uh, God squashed, basically, and uh, destroyed, and what we the demons are uh, the spirits of those pre-Adamic race that was there before, and now they're haunting us. That's, <laughs> that, believe it or not, there's some theologians who really believe that. I think even Thiessen, hmm. in his uh, systematic theology, embraces that kind of a concept. Uh, the other thing is that the other one is that they believe that the, you know in in Genesis chapter six, it talks about the sons of God going in on the daughters of women. We'll probably talk about that later, but they believe that um, the demons is that hybrid between man and um, these fallen angels. And when the flood destroyed these beings, these spirits remain, and these are the ones that now try to possess us. They said the same way these demons uh, went in onto these falling went in onto women, and they wanted to be embodied. Uh, their spirits now want to be embodied again. I am very very surprised that there are many great Bible scholars who believe this. For example, Luther believed this. Mm-hmm. William Kelly believed this. A.C. Gabelin believed this. Um, and Dealing and uh, Keel and uh, Delich, their, their commentary in the Old Testament, he believed this. Uh, as a matter of fact, it goes back to the second century. Uh, church fathers like Justin and Tertullian and uh, Cyprian and Ambrose. Now, Ambrose was the pastor and bishop that led um, um, Augustine to the Lord. But they believed that. Uh, so there's a body of... of um, um, fairly orthodox people that hold to that view. However, I think the only rational and the only credible uh, answer for what demons are is that they are fallen angelic beings, and I think we can probably prove that as we, we go on. Uh, I think, and, and, and the Bible talks about the devil being the prince of demons, but we're also told that he is the, de- the, the devil and his what? Angels. Angels. So it seems to be synonymous these two and that seemed to be the only reasonable uh, answer uh, so these are not uh, disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race or some uh, disembodied spirits of this hybrid that uh, we read in Genesis chapter 6 uh, these are fallen angels uh, that became demonic powers because they followed Satan in his rebellion against God Pastor, are demons just mere emanations or influences or powers? I guess what I'm getting at, is there proof of whether they're spirit or personal entities? Yeah, I think that's a a good question because there are people who think that there's some kind of uh, force. Uh, There's some people who believe that 
they are some kind of um, evil power, and some also believe that these are uh, emanations that came off from God at a lower degree that became evil, etc., etc. If you study Gnosticism, um, you'll discover that that's one of the Gnostics' beliefs. But again, when you come to Scripture, um, the question is, are these real personalities? Uh, are they beings that are, are, are conscious? Uh, and I think that it can be proven in Scripture that these are real personal beings, just like Satan is a personal being. Now, if Satan is a personal being and he's a fallen angel, it follows uh, by logic and reason that these angels that fell with him and became demonic powers would also be uh, personal beings. But we know that to be a personal entity, there are three characteristics of a personal entity. It means that you have to have intellect, you have to have emotions, you have to have a will. That's what makes uh, a person a person or make any entity a person. If you have intellect, you have emotions, and you have a will, you have a person. When you come to uh, scriptures, I think you can be shown very clearly that demonic powers had all three of these for example, there's no doubt that they had intellect. We know this, for example, in, in several ways. Uh, in Matthew 1, 24, when this demon met Jesus, he knew Jesus. And that's an astounding statement. If you look at Matthew 1, 24. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, Then Joseph raised f- from sleep, did, then Joseph being raised from sleep, no. did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Now, I've got the wrong verse there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, um, I don't know why I got, it might be, um, I, I don't want to uh, speculate on it, but it's a, book, a verse in Matthew, and it's a verse 24, the, the, the chapter is wrong. What I would say to you, I think most people are familiar with this, when the um, uh, angel said, I know who thou art, thou art Jesus, the Son of God. Um, and that's an astounding statement, uh, that they would know who Jesus was, so they have intellect. The other thing is that they also knew um, the future doom. If you look at Matthew eight twenty eight and twenty nine, this one is correct, I'm sure. <laughs> Matthew eight twenty eight and, and twenty nine. Yeah. And when he was come to the other side of the country, of the Jared Garadines. Garadines. Thank uh-huh. you. Uh-huh. There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by the way. Verse 29, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before thy time? They are aware that their doom is settled. They have intellectual knowledge that they are going to be judged, and they're going to be confined eternally. So uh, clearly they have this, this kind of knowledge. Um, if you look at Acts um, 16, 16 and 17, they had knowledge of Paul and they had knowledge of Christ. And it came to pass, as we went to pray, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by Susan. And the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew us the way of salvation. Again, they knew the Apostle Paul. They knew that his message was the gospel. And in, in Acts 19, uh, 15, read that one as well. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but you, who are you? You remember the sons of Sceva? 
Shiva, they, they saw uh, Paul exercising um, demonic spirits and they wanted to do the same thing and they went to do it and then they got a licking because the demons chased them out and they had to run. And then Talk about did. humility. <laughs> and that's why the way, you know, I, I am very reluctant to deal with these matters myself because this is not a ministry that I feel I'm called to, uh, to be very honest with you. And you've got to be very careful when you're dealing. You've got to be pure yourself when you're dealing with these kind of things. You don't rush into this kind of thing because I've read uh, books where um, pastors in dealing with these matters have been slapped. Uh, have been pushed down. Uh, I mean, and they've had to go back again and, and stuff like that. This is not really for me, to be very honest with you. But mm-hmm. there, but we, the the point I'm making here is that they clearly knew Paul. They clearly knew Jesus. But he said, "We don't know you." In other words, we know that Paul is a minister of God. We know who Christ is, but you're fake, basically, right? Uh, so this is knowledge. Clearly, they have knowledge. And then um, in. in First uh, Timothy four verse one and three, they have a counterfeit system of doctrine. Now, if you're going to have a counterfeit system of doctrine, it means that you must have intellect and must be able to convey that particular doctrine to your recipients. And uh, Paul said in First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Okay. But it's very clear that the deception is human agencies that they've been, but the, the person that's being used as a human agent to deceive has been deceived himself by an evil spirit, see? So the doctrine might be taught by a man, this false doctrine, like the New Age movement. There's no doubt about that, that the agent behind that is, is Satan, and many of the cults as well. But the individual uh, actually has been influenced by demonic powers to get this doctrine peddled. Sometimes they do it in their books, sometimes they do it in their preaching and their teaching. But clearly, uh, uh, there are intelligent beings because the doctrine that they're teaching is now uh, being dispensed to a human agent. By the way, if you deal with the New Age movement, they talk about ascended masters. They talk about um, getting in contact with an avatar. Uh, and, and some of these people have done writing, by the way, by going into trance and actually written books. They themselves are just like, they're like the, the typewriter. And whatever has been said, they just write it down. And they'll tell you that. They, they're completely under the control of some supernatural being, an evil force, of course. And then um, James 2.19 um, says that you believe in, um, in one God. The devils, and the word devils there is demons. There's only one devil the demons believe. So to believe simply means you have to have intellect, you have to have understanding. So I think when you look at those particular uh, references, um, we we can't uh, in any way deny the reality that according to what the Bible teaches in those aspects, that we're dealing with highly intelligent beings that are, are very smart, have certain types of knowledge. They also have emotion, uh, Nathan, and um, if you read uh, Matthew eight twenty eight, okay, I'm going to turn there. Matthew eight twenty eight. Well, uh, you'll find it there in Matthew eight eight twenty eight, and then read also verse twenty nine. All right, Matthew eight twenty eight and twenty nine. Uh, sorry, went to the wrong. 8.28 says, And when he was come to the other side of the country of the Jaredines, there met him two 
possessed with devils coming out of the tomb exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by. Uh, That's 29 and 28. Uh, 29 says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before our time? Yeah. And that they're expressing there in that passage fear and anger. Um, there's, and there's fierceness, so there's emotion of fear, uh, being fierce and being angry. Uh, yes. Pastor, we have a caller. Uh, thank you for calling in, and go ahead with your question, please. Hi. Hi, good evening, sir. We're listening. Hi, Miriam. Uh, th- this is Nathan. You're on the air. Can you go ahead with your question, please? All right, if you want to call back, feel free to call back or ask your question to Marianne off the air. We appreciate you calling. Uh, Pastor... Uh, yeah, we're talking about the emotion of fear and anger and fierceness uh, expressed there because of demonic control. Uh, so there's certainly the aspect of emotion. And then um, they have the will. Um, they have a will to make. If you look at Matthew 8, 3. Matthew 8, 3 says, And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Yeah, and then if you look at, uh, sorry, 831, 831. 831 says, So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. Again, uh, clearly there's a choice. The the, the will is the expression of choice. And they not only have emotions we see with anger and, and wrath and fierceness, they not only have the intellect of knowing, but also they are now able to, to make a choice, and they're exercising their will. Uh, they're, they're asking the Lord, uh, you know, you know, would you allow us to, to go into the uh, swine, whatever it is in that particular passage. But that's the exercise of the will. They're making a request uh, because they're trying to make a choice in that regard. And then they also um, have the will uh, to obey commands and orders. Uh, if you look at um, Luke four thirty-five and 36... I've never understood that passage where they went into the swine and then went down into the the ocean. What what was the benefit that they really got out of that? Well, I think the, the benefit is it seems to me as though that demons want to have to be embodied, and if they're not embodied in man, but the thing is, the, but they would the, have only been embodied for a few minutes. <laughs> but that's the thing between us and the, and the pig. The pig probably uh, <laughs> were more fearful than we, than human beings were, and their control of human beings were highly intelligent as opposed to an animal like a like a like pigs that, that don't have any intelligence. Yes. All right, we have a caller. Thank you for calling very much, and go ahead with your question, please. Yes. Good night. Good night. Good sir. night. Pastor Murphy, I have a question here. Um, I'm always in doubt about it. Okay, let me when see. When sinners die uh-huh. and they go to Hades, do they know each other? Okay. Do they know each other? Do the spirits know each other? Well, I look. I can. I'm limited to what the Bible teaches, so I'm just going to tell you what the Bible teaches. If you take uh, Luke chapter, give me a minute. I will. I will listen off here because my credit's are low. Sure, sure. Okay, I'll yeah. try to help you with that one. Thank you very much for yeah, calling yeah. with your question. Yeah. And uh, very good question, and one that I suppose most people are curious about. Uh, and I said I'm limited to what the Bible teaches on this matter, and. Um, 
if you take Luke chapter 16, um, and where our Lord tells a story, uh, a lot of people believe it's a parable, a lot of believe it's an actual fact, because uh, the first time he gives somebody a name uh, in, in that regard. But if we take it as, as teaching a truth, and the truth is that clearly in, in, uh, in that truth is that when the rich man died and the poor man died uh, and, the, and the believer died, um, there's some cross-interaction uh, there. Um, uh, we're not given any specifics uh, as far as whether you know they, they knew each other, et cetera, et cetera. So we're a little bit uncertain uh, as far as the Bible is concerned that you know you can know each other down there. But I would suspect that uh, if you go to Hades and you're lost, and you're lost, and you have a friend down there, I suspect that there would be some recognition down there. Um, I would suspect that to be, but the Bible does not speak explicitly on the matter. I know the people that are very, say very frivolously, well, you know, uh, when I go down there and meet my friends down there, uh, in a very nonchalant attitude, they, they take that kind of a um, disposition. Uh, I don't think that Hades is any place that anybody wants to think that they're going to enjoy anything long there. The Bible is very, very clear on this matter. But I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I cannot say definitively on on this matter. But if you take Luke chapter sixteen, that the um, the the rich man was recognized and he, and Lazarus was recognized, even though they're two in two different compartments. It would seem as though there's some kind of recognition there as well, and if we do believe that the human spirit uh, goes to be in Hades, that is the person who is not saved. The, unbe- the believer, by the way, we're told that he goes to be with the Lord after the resurrection. Uh, this is what happens: the believer no longer goes to Hades. Hades is an intermediary stage for a person before Christ came on the cross. But when Christ died on the cross, you read Ephesians: He led captivity captive, and he took all to be with him so that when a person dies now out for the body present with the Lord but those who are not saved certainly they go to Hades and I believe that they're conscious the Bible makes that clear that they're conscious um, I would suspect if they're conscious um, there should be some level of recognition if they're conscious uh, but again we're dealing in a very vague area and I don't like to speculate and go beyond scripture uh, we want to know a lot of things, but let's hold to what God has revealed. There's a verse in the book of Deuteronomy which says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that belong to us, He's revealed to us. But there are some things that He's hidden from us. And uh, let us not speculate too much. And, and I, I can't speak authoritatively on that matter. Thank you very much for that call and for that question. Maybe you have a question that you'd like to ask Pastor Murphy. The phone line is open and available, and the number is 268-462-7420. I know I listed that off quickly, so while you get your phone unlocked or a pen and a paper out, I'll give it to you again. To be call and be put live on the air, it's 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather not speak live on the air, but you want to send a WhatsApp or a text message, we would love for you to do that, and you can send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. WhatsApp or text two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor, I heard someone. Wait, there's, there's yeah. another, another reference here. I just want to like the next week. I'll do it for the person who just. I remember reading the book of Isaiah, 
um, I forgot which passage right now, but I will find it and uh, I'll share it next week, uh, where it talks about the, the kings of um, either Babylon or Assyria, that when they were destroyed and they were going down to Hades, it is said that other kings would be there to meet them. Uh, I'll get that reference. Now, Isaiah might be speaking prophetically, he might be speaking poetically, but I'll get that reference to the person. But it does indicate that the uh, the other kings who had gone on before are, as it were, uh, expecting the king of Babylon, who has now been disposed and uh, has been killed. And it, it would seem as though there's some kind of recognition there again. But I'll, I'll find the reference and I'll share it with the audience next week. Pastor, I heard someone recently say that the worst thing about hell will not be the fire, but the fact that they are eternally separated from God with no possibility of having a relationship with God. Um, would you agree with that statement, or is that kind of reading between the lines? We can't be definitive. All I, w- I, I would say, I would say this: um, we don't know what it is to live in a world without God, even now. Imagine if if God took his hand off planet Earth. Imagine if the Holy Spirit was not restraining the evil. And the book talks about that, that he who restraineth will be taken away. You look at the book of Revelation, and you see what it means when the Holy Spirit is removed. Uh, Whole hell breaks loose. Satan has his powers. He he pretty much controls planet Earth and governments. So I don't think we, we really know what is the depth of living in a world without God. Uh, this world might look evil, but believe me, it would be far worse had God not been restraining uh, the evil forces that are currently trying to uh, control hu- humankind. Um, but however you look at it, um, when it comes to God, there's hope. Even if I'm burning in the fire and there's a God, there's hope for me. But when I'm burning in the fire or I'm in any place and there's absolutely no hope because there's no God, I think that's probably the most haunting thing because as long as he's there, you still believe there's hope. But to, to not be able to connect with that God at some point in time, I think that would be probably very miserable. I'm not only suffering pain, but I'm suffering pain with the idea that there's no hope because there's no God there. So I, I'm not too sure how I would um, how to interpret what the person is saying. Uh, but I do feel that to be without hope and without God, I think that is probably the most fearful experience any man can encounter. Pastor, we have a caller from Jennings, Antigua. Thank you very much for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. I've been listening to you since last week. Um, I used to watch, as an unbeliever, I used to watch a lot of supernatural movies and series, and I've heard them always mention the word Leavitans. Are they real, or is it just something they make up? In well, Leavitan is in the Bible, by the way, and it's a sea creature. Um, some people believe it was a... Um, uh, great. Some people say it was the dinosaur, uh, but whatever it is in the in the in the, in the scriptures, it, it's there. In especially the book of Job, you'll find it there. Uh, it is a, a sea creature, extremely large uh, sea creature. Some people think it's the alligator. Some people think it was a dinosaur, but it's one of those sea creatures there. But uh, I'm not too sure the, the connection with that in your movies I'm not sure how it was used in the movies they, they used it as a demon as um, an 
Asian demon. This is an Asian demon. Well, there's no reference in the Bible that the way it's used there as a demon in the in the in the Old Testament. If you, you if you check your concordance, if you've got a, a, a Strong's concordance or a Young's concordance, uh, you check out the word Leviathan in the in the Bible, you see that it's a sea creature. So I think it is just Hollywood taking uh, a biblical ter- term and twisting it to mean something that is not taught in Scripture. Okay. Okay. I hope that helps you. God bless. Thank you very much for listening, and it's great to have you listening and calling in with a question. We appreciate that, and continue to listen and encourage others to tune in. The phone line is now open and available, so if you have a question, we'd love for you to call 1-268-462-7420. To be put live on the air, we WhatsApp or text your question, 268-782-1454. Pastor, you were talking about how uh, demons in from Scripture have intellect, and I believe you were explaining how they we know that they have emotions. Right, and we I did try to show a moment ago that they also have wills, in the sense that they can make requests, and they are given commands. They uh, obey those commands. Uh, that is the exercise of will. Uh, and the other thing is that they leave a person in the parable of Matthew chapter twelve decide to lead the person, and then later on decides to come back and bring seven more with them. Again, that's a choice, that's a decision, that's exercising the will. So when you look at the fact that they are highly intelligent and intellectual, they have different emotions that are created in people that they possess, anger, fear, etc., and also that they can um, they can obey commands and they themselves can make decisions to leave and to come back. Uh, that is the exercise of will. The other thing, Nathan, that helps you to see that their personalities is that when you read the scriptures, they never use the um, the pronoun is always used. A personal pronoun is is always used. Never the neuter. Interesting. Uh, yeah, they they either say us, we, they, you, or I, or me, but never do you find that is it uh, in, in the scripture. So every time that they refer to, uh, let's look at Matthew five six. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good night, Pastor Murphy. Good evening, sir. Good evening, madam. Good evening. Um, in reference to the angels. Yes. Um, how you look at Jude? Yeah. Six, verse six. Yes. Um, we we're going to come to that, but we can look at it now for you. Go ahead. Yeah, that is a, that tell me that because you tell you fallen angels yeah. are like demons going about and so on. But the way I see it there uh. is like they are in chains. They what? The fallen angels, when I read Jude, uh-huh. they are in chains. Yes, some of them are in prison. Jude, Jude, uh, yeah, Jude, I, I, yeah. Jude, verse 6. Yeah, verse, Jude, Jude, Jude says that, and also Peter says that, Second Peter, that they are confined. But these are speaking to specific angels, angels that did not, uh, that left their ordained uh, place of, of um, order. And they, uh, you'll read that. We'll come to that. Uh, in, that's where I think it refers to the book of Genesis chapter 6, that they left the order, the, the place God had placed them, and because they committed such an atrocious sin, they are confined. They are angels, they are demonic spirits that are currently confined, and there's some, some that are currently uh, free. 
But these particular uh, fallen angelic beings, these committed a, a gross uh, sin against God and against humankind, and God has deliberately confined them until that final day. So not all angels are confined, all demons are oh confined. Okay, okay. But we, we'll come to that when we deal with uh, Jude chapter 6 and also Second okay. Peter. We'll try to point that out to you more clearly. God bless you. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much for calling, and thanks for listening from Nevis. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 845 on this Tuesday evening. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come in from Antigua. Good night. Uh, good night to the program. Should Christians partake in birthdays, Christmas, and Valentine's, etc.? Uh, that person pretty much sounded like maybe, uh, well, I'm assuming, I know that JW don't partake of any of these things. Jehovah's Witness believe that these are things that uh, believe. I'm familiar with be. some Baptists that would take the same view. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think there's any verse in Scripture that would say you can't do these things, to be very honest. There's no, I mean, birthday celebration. Um, I, there's no reference in the scripture say you shouldn't celebrate birthdays. Some people say, well, you know, uh, because of uh, what happened to John the Baptist and the birthday of Herodias, therefore, there's, uh, you know, you shouldn't have birthdays, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I see nothing wrong in celebrating a person's birthday. What was the other one? Uh, Christmas, Christmas, Valentine's. Valentine's. Uh, it's a, it's a neither here nor there for me to be very honest with you I think it's a good thing to take your wife out or to buy her a present uh, but we don't celebrating it I am not too sure um, I, I don't celebrate it but because it's a day that normally a t- day of love to be very honest with you that's what it's all about um, you know I buy my wife a, a present uh, a gift to, to let her know I appreciate her let her know that I love her so I see nothing wrong in buying a Valentine's gift etc cetera, etc cetera. but celebrating the day I, 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 I don't celebrate the day per se I just see it's a tradition that's going on and there's nothing wrong with the tradition if it's con- unless it is something contrary to scripture and love is one of the great principles of the Bible that we should love so I see nothing wrong in expressing love Christmas now Christmas celebrates the Lord's uh, uh, the Lord was was was, uh, was born uh, it is true that we don't know the exact date. That that's a given. Um, if you read the scriptures and then compare it with the time of the year, and you compare it with the time in Israel, you can find that there's no certainty as to whether or not it was December 25th. But the the the, the purpose behind it uh, for a Christian is you recognize that the Lord was sent, was uh, came into this world and he was born a human being. And we celebrate his birth because it's his incarnation that makes the cross possible. And without the cross and his dying on the cross, uh, we would not be saved. So I see nothing wrong in recognizing uh, his birth and celebrating the fact that our Lord was was born. Um, I see nothing wrong with it. Uh, if your conscience bother you, however, um, I wouldn't advise that you do it. And again, uh, this is where we have to exercise Christian liberty. The Bible talks about this whole matter. Um, uh, Paul uh, lets us know that we are free in Christ, but we will not be doing anything that does not edify, doing nothing that's not expedient or or, or, uh, necessary, and do not do anything that would bring you into bondage. Uh, those are the three principles that Paul lays down in terms of exercising Christian freedom. And then Paul says, if my brother be offended, I will eat no meat uh, while the word stands, uh, etc. So if it doesn't offend a person that is close to you, if it does offend a person, you might want to look at it, uh, etc., etc. 
But um, I think you ought to exercise Christian liberty and let your conscience guide you in these things. Unless the Bible explicitly states something, we ought to be careful that we don't lay down a rule and a regulation because become legalistic now because something is offensive to you. We take it offensive to other people. So that's my give on that matter. The person who sent in that question says, in my opinion, they are pagan traditions. Well, again, if they're pagan traditions for you, I would advise you not to engage in them because the, your, your, your conscience bothers you. That's what Paul talks about. Your conscience bothers you. So what about Saturday? Do you observe Saturday? Saturday is a Saturn. You know, it's a god, a Roman god. What about Monday? There's also a god. What Even about Tuesday? All of them. All five, uh, all six, uh, seven names for the days of the week. They're all pagan gods. So what are you going to do? You call it another day now? <laughs> Let's get serious, okay? Let's understand that because you might have been taught something in your church, etc., etc., Christians have a right. Uh, uh, to use their conscience and unless there's a clear ma- mandate in scripture against something we ought to exercise Christian liberty and be gen- very generous in this matter but if, it's a, if it bothers you and you think it's pagan it's wrong for you to do it if I thought it was pagan it'd be wrong for me to do it as well but I don't think it's pagan as far as I am concerned Pastor you were asking me to look up a verse I believe it was in Matthew uh, talking about the personalities Oh yeah look at Matthew 5 um maybe a shorter verse look at Luke 8 uh 28 to 30 Luke 8:28 to 30 says When he saw Jesus he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice said What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Verse 29, For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he brake the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he saith unto him, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. You notice the word, I and me. What have I to do with with thee? And then the word, uh, I do come here to torment me. Again, those are personal pronouns. And this is an entity, a spirit. Uh, acknowledging that he's an I, he's a me. So, uh, and again, I can show you many places in the Bible where us or we or or, or they or or, or, or I, personal pronouns apply to to these um, beings, not not the, uh, um, not it, basically. Okay. So, if that's the case, if a person is a is possessed or. yeah, I'll use the word uh, possessed, and they are acting out or the demon is acting out in them. Are you saying that it's actually possible then to speak with that personality, with that demon? Well, our, uh, you remember in that same passage, the Lord spoke to the demon, what's your name? Yeah. Right? So the Lord spoke to him. He said, my name is Legion. But is that just something that Jesus can do? Is that something we should be doing? Should well, we be I doing am, it? You know, there are some people who think that we shouldn't speak t- to these uh, uh, demonic powers. There are others who, in exorcising uh, demons, have asked, what's your name? How many of you are in there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, think it's a, uh, I don't think you can actually say uh, nay or nay on this particular matter. Um there are some people who want to g- who get information uh, from these demonic powers. Uh, I wouldn't go into details, but in, in dealing with a situation like that, uh, um, a case, uh, we did get information 
uh, from the demonic powers by asking certain types of questions. Now, whether or not that was right or wrong, I can't. I can only speculate. But the information we got was valuable in trying to understand how the person got in that condition, and uh, which related to another person, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I didn't. Uh, I don't feel as though the information we we got was in any way wrong information. As a matter of fact, it helped us to identify how people can get into these kind of situations, uh, especially when the person is a professed believer. So I, I don't think um, there's any definitive way in Scripture say you shouldn't talk to demons and you shouldn't get information from them. Uh, again, I think there's one of the places where you've got to exercise judgment and liberty and discernment, uh, but I don't think there's any, any, any fast answer to that question. Obviously, I'm sure when you were in that situation, uh, it was done very cautiously and not just a candid, hi, what's your name? Let yeah, me yeah, socialize I, with you. Well, you know, it was it's a, an experience where, uh, I mean, I'm in a learning process on this whole thing as well because this is not something normal for Baptists, as you would know, or normal for Christians to interact with these kind of, of powers and forces. And I've done a lot of reading uh, subsequent to that. As a matter of fact, I probably got about six or seven books on it that I started reading up on. And I find that people who have dealt with this thing fairly extensively. Um, uh, there's a Lutheran pastor that wrote a book on dealing with the occult. Uh, I have that book in my possession. And um, in dealing with um, the exorcism of these demonic powers, uh, he has exercised the right to ask certain questions, which was proved helpful in helping to understand what the situation was. So based on that judgment and some of the experience of other people, um, they have not faulted that process. Some people hold very stringently to it because only our Lord is the only time we find that uh, spoke to demons, and they feel that we should not speak to them. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. If a pastor talks to you and tells you that you have a fraudness inside if a pastor talks to you and tells you that you have a fraudness inside of you, what does that mean? And I don't understand what he is trying to say to me. Are you familiar with that word, Pastor? Uh, I I would I know what word fraud is, and I suspect that he's using it, um, um, meaning that probably the person has a uh, within them um, some form of deception, trying to mislead. Or in the case of fraud, of course, it has to do with some kind of um, saying something that's not true with the ultimate purpose of gaining something. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know what he means by that. Um, again, you know, within the Pentecostal circle, I must say that everything has got a spirit. And uh, we as as Baptists, we are very, very careful uh to th- not to throw the word demonize or demon-possessed or demon-influenced. We're very, very cautious because the Bible is also very cautious in this matter. So I'm not too sure. I, if I was the person asking this question, and I, I was in a church and the, the, the pastor had mentioned that, I think it's right and proper to be able to go to him after the service that pastor you mentioned in the your sermon or maybe at a business meeting or some other function. You mentioned that uh, I have a fraudness or we have a fraudness. It would be helpful to, uh, you know, help me to understand what you mean by that. I think that's the best thing to do. But I, I have no clue what he means. Uh, the pastor means by using that expression. I think he's probably don't being dishonest in some way, and that may be a term that he's using, saying that you know you have a dishonest 
attitude or dishonest spirit in you. Whether it means a little spirit or not, I don't. I'm not too sure. But um, I, I would. I would get that clarified by the pastor. Pastor, a Facebook uh, message. Actually, two of them. Can a Christian be demonized? Yeah, I think a demon, a person, can be demonized. I, I don't have any any, any doubt about that. Um, I, 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 the reason why I believe this is possible. By demonized, you mean possessed, or well, by demonized, I mean being demon influenced. Let okay. me put it that way. I'm a little bit at this stage in my life, and from what I've read, I'm a little bit reluctant to talk about being demon possessed. However, there are some very solid Bible teachers that believe a person, Christian, can be demon possessed, and I'll tell you why they believe that. They believe that the human spirit is to be redeemed. Okay, the human spirit, the human soul is redeemed. The human body is uh, not fully redeemed yet. That waits until our Lord returns. We still have this sinful nature. And they believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in the human spirit. But the possibility of a, a believer being influenced where the, the, the devil can take up a um, uh, residency in its carnal nature, in its fleshly nature, because the carnal nature has not been fully redeemed until this human body is fully redeemed and there's no sinful nature. So they believe that because of this sinful nature within man, it creates a, the devil can have a foothold basically in a person's life in that regard. But I do think that a, a person, a Christian, can be demonized in the sense it's influenced by demonic powers. And I think um, one got to be very, very careful. That especially when you go down the, the immoral route, uh, that in itself opens the flesh gate where you can get under demonic control. But I think it can happen. I'm a little bit reluctant to talk about demon possessed, where the devil cannot possess a believer in the sense that he owns a believer, but he certainly can influence uh, a believer. If a believer gets away from God and gets into carnality, gets into sin, that can happen. In the last 30 seconds of the program, Pastor, a Facebook message from Antigua. When demons are cast out of a person, can it repossess that person? If the person is an unbeliever, the Bible makes it clear in one of the parables that the strong man, he goes out and then he brings back seven more demons within. It's possible to be delivered and repossessed if you're an unbeliever. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. We trust you found some source of encouragement or edification from it. Be sure that you encourage others to tune in next week as, Lord willing, we continue this topic of demonology and what it means for us living in the year 2020, how it should apply to us, and how we should interpret verses that talk about demons. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.